Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 156 of The Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Cress. And we're going to start straight away with a thank you. Yes, big thank you to Sigrid for becoming one of our Patreon sponsors. We really appreciate it. It really helps keep the podcast afloat. Absolutely. And before we get started, we're starting this episode with a heavy heart. A lot of people in the book community have heard already that uh, we lost our friend Jenny Colvin, passed away unexpectedly. Jenny is, Jenny was the host of Reading Envy podcast. She did some joint read-alongs with us, and we will miss her, and we're thinking of her family. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of people in the book community are going to really miss her voice and all of her contributions. She, she was such a kind, passionate person, always there for people. Yep. So this one's for you, Jenny. So Chris, what are you currently reading? Well, I started reading Under the Sea Wind by Rachel Carson. This was her first book, came out in 1941. I thought I would read them all in chronological order. So I'm just at the tippy beginning of it. How about you? I have been browsing, is the best way I can put it, this book called Why We Cook, Women on Food, Identity, and Connection by Lindsay Gardner. And she is both the editor of this collection and the illustrator. It's beautiful. It's She has all manner of illustrations in here. There's some essays, um, little tidbits about women in the food industry, and some recipes. And I've literally had it on my nightstand for months, and I've just been paging through it and really enjoying it. And thank you to Workman for sending me a copy. Well, speaking of Workman, the other book that I'm currently reading is a cookbook as well called That Noodle Life. It's by Mike Lee and Stephanie Lee. The subtitle is Soulful, Savory, Spicy, Slurpy. And it is (laughs) a recipe book about noodles. And I love noodles. Laura has often joked that I'm going to turn into a noodle one of these days because next to pizza... Life would just have no meaning without noodles for me. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah. So I'm super looking forward to trying some of these recipes. It has great pictures. It's not a glossy cookbook. It's not like super heavy like some cookbooks can be, but they have beautiful photographs of the recipes. One of the big takeaways already is that you should never rinse your noodles. When you rinse your noodles, you're stripping away the starch that holds your sauce to the noodles. Oh my gracious. I'm taking that wisdom back to the gentleman caller because we have come to fisticuffs Mm -hmm. over to rinse or not to rinse. So I feel like I've, what's the word? Vindicated. Yes. Thank you. I've been vindicated. Yes. I'm going to say Chris and the Slurpee noodle book told me so. Yeah. And this book, I was super happy to uh, come across it. Um, I did get an advanced reader digital copy through NetGalley. So thank you to Workman and NetGalley for that. And I had my eye out for it when we were up in Vermont recently and did find it at Bartleby's Books. Yeah, she was so excited. Yeah. I was standing right there when it happened. (laughs) (laughs) You were the one who spotted it first, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. because we had been, I didn't know, listeners, you're going to have a hard time believing this. I've known Chris for six years now, and I didn't know her love of noodles until our car ride up to Vermont. And then she told me about this cookbook, and then we found it. Yeah. Ah, oh, I love it. I could sleep with this one under my pillow. Go for it. Mm-hmm. So I've been known to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that Noodle Life by Mike Lee and Stephanie Lee, available now. Right on. Mm-hmm. 
So Emily, what have you just read? I finished the new book out by Julia Clark called The Lies I Tell. This book comes out on June 21st. She also wrote the book The Last Flight, which I talked about, I think last year that one came out. This book is a domestic thriller. It's sort of a cat and mouse game book. And ironically, one of the characters' names is Cat with a K. (laughs) Then there's Meg, or is she Maggie or Melody? We don't know. What she is, is a skilled con artist, like scary skilled con artist. And she takes information that she gathers about someone and then infiltrates their life in a very believable way and kind of destroys their life, particularly mostly financially. Hmm. But she's doing it for good reasons, maybe, it turns out. So I really enjoyed it. It's one of those that goes back and forth from the different character points of view. And I have to say, one of my takeaways was how easy it is now with social media, especially for someone to infiltrate your life. She would do things like, you know, those surveys you might answer on Instagram about like, what's your dog's name? And what's your favorite color? And where did you go to college? You know, then she would go to a party and just pretend like she knew all these things and went to the same college as you or whatever. Mm -hmm. She was a very skilled con artist. (laughs) But like I said, it's also kind of about women taking back their lives when they've been wronged by people in the past. Interesting. Sounds intriguing. Yeah. So again, that was called The Lies I Tell by Julia Clark, and it comes out on June 21st. Well, I read The Fervor which is Alma Katsu's new book, available now. It just came out. She's the author of a bunch of books, most recently before this, The Hunger and then The Deep. And she writes historical horror novels, which I think is fantastic. Historical horror is not a genre I would have ever thought to be created, you know, because like most horror, there's the past involved because it's quite often a haunting or, you know, somebody got turned into a monster long ago. But these novels that she writes are set in the past and have some truth to them. But then she adds a layer of horror, supernatural elements, which is fantastic. So this one, The Fervor, it's set in 1944. It starts with a man who's in Japan who's studying high-altitude air currents. So it's the Journal of... Wasaburo Oshi, O-I-S-H-I is his last name. He was a real man who lived from 1874 to 1950, and he's best known for discovering the high-altitude air currents, you know, the jet streams. So the thing with the jet stream, the Japanese military uses the jet stream in these balloons to launch 9,000 timed incendiary bombs towards the United States. They were timed. Fortunately for us, the time was wrong because the jet stream currents were incorrect exactly in in how long things would take. So most of them just fell into the Pacific Ocean. But Katsu is using that real life situation with the balloons to have this supernatural, deadly thing land. Apparently are timed correctly. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yes. Yes, exactly. So his daughter who was born in Japan, is now living in the United States. She's married a white man, and their daughter is, how old? She's she's young, like she's not a teenager yet, um, but she's very intelligent and very creative. 
And it's 1944, so mom and the daughter are living in one of the internment camps because her husband joined the Army Air Corps and is flying for the Army Air Corps overseas. It's one of these stories where there are a couple different threads that come together. So another thread takes place in Oregon with this pastor who is driving up to the mountains for a getaway with his wife and some kids whose older sibling recently died in the war. So kind of giving those parents a little bit of a break and getting the kids out to do something kind of fun and something happens. And then the other thread is a reporter named Fran who's in Lincoln, Nebraska, having an affair with her boss. Something happens. So the something that happens are these balloons that land And I hate to say this to people because this is going to be a content warning thing. And some people are going to immediately say, I'll never read that. But it deals with spiders. Oh, wow. Yes. (laughs) So, I mean, I love spiders in real life. You know, not that I want to sleep with them or anything or share my pasta with them. But I know how important they are to the environment. She doesn't go into great detail about the spiders themselves. But they're causing people to kind of lose it. I won't say any more about that because I don't want to give too many spoilers. But this is kind of based on a Japanese folklore monster, I guess, for lack of a a better term, a Yorogumo, J-O-R-O-G-U-M-O, a Yorogumo, I believe is how you pronounce it. It's a deadly spider woman from Japanese folklore who is usually a beautiful woman who morphs into a spider and kills men. Damn. Yeah. So in this book, (laughs) yeah, she appears... And this might be a strain, too, within the Japanese folklore history. I'm not really sure if Katsu is morphing this for her own needs, but the Yurogumo is a beautiful woman that is holding a baby, and she's asking for help. And when the person takes the baby from her, usually a man, (laughs) he realizes he's holding this squirming mass that is a big spider egg. Yeah, kind of gross, right? So. That might already be a little bit too much. That's not how the spiders transmit all the time. So you don't really know like what they're seeing because there's this scientific thing that's happening. The U.S. military is involved. A lot of twists and turns. Some things I saw coming, others I did not at all. And I really liked how she had certain things come together. The ending was a little bit too unknown but also neatly wrapped up at the same time it was a little fast for me but otherwise i really enjoyed this book very much and i think you have to suspend a little disbelief obviously in any kind of horror novel but i really admire what she does with different time periods and incorporates actual historical things to make creepy things happen wow yeah and actually katsu's father-in-law his whole family had been interred in one of the camps during the war. So she did a lot of interviewing with people who'd been in those situations. So there's some good authenticity to that part of it as well. Again, that's The Fervor by Amakatsu, available now. Right on. I finished reading Velma Wallace's memoir, Raising Ourselves, a Gwich'in coming-of-age story from the Yukon River. And Velma Wallace is uh, the author of our second quarter read-along book, which we're going to talk about next. I really enjoyed the read-along books and Robin on Goodreads, our Goodreads thread for the read-along, let us know that there was a memoir available, which I hadn't noticed. So I ran right out and got it. 
Actually, that's not true. The gentleman caller had to pick it up for me because the only book in her library system was very far away up where he lives. So he got me the copy and it was really good. It was interesting to learn more about her because the read-along is a legend about the Gwich'in people. So it was interesting to learn more about where they live and what her background is. And Velma was one of 15 kids. Unreal. She was right in the middle. And the title is very suggestive, you know, Raising Ourselves. Her parents both struggled with alcoholism. You know, I think even if your parents aren't alcoholics and you're in a family of 15 kids, there's probably a lot of raising yourself that goes on, right? Or the kids raise each other, I think, is what tends to happen. Mm -hmm. So that is indeed what happened with Velma. And there's sadness to me in here. A lot of lives not lived necessarily to their fullest ability because of the alcoholism and how that affects your wherewithal in general. What happens with Velma is she has some opportunities to leave and she does. She goes to Portland, Oregon at one point and goes to school. She doesn't really like it. She ends up kind of escaping and coming back to where she lives in the Yukon. But she becomes very independent and self-sufficient. And there's a point where an older woman in the community says to her, why don't you go back to your family property? Because her father, before he passed away, had done a lot of trapping and really helped to keep the family alive with food, but also support them through the sale of skins and things like that, animal skins. And so she goes and rediscovers this property that they had kind of let go and was probably going to be taken over by somebody else just because they thought it was the whoever the owner was had disappeared. And she lives there by herself in the winter and starts to learn how to trap and take care of herself. And her family thinks she's kind of nuts, but she does it. But then she also talks about her brother, Barry, who was not out of the closet and ended up dying from AIDS. And she was completely devastated by that. And he was really the person in her family that supported her writing and encouraged her to write to old women to the point where she was like, no, no, I would never do that. And he just kind of started sending it off. And then it ended up becoming this award-winning book. And That's fantastic. Her writing career was launched. So she was very saddened by his loss. I enjoyed it. It has sketches just like Two Old Women by the same illustrator. And it also has a lot of photographs. Again, that was called Raising Ourselves by Velma Wallace. Awesome. So the other book I read, I didn't anticipate picking up and reading like I did. Um, It's Shudder by Ramona Emerson. This is coming out from Soho Press on August 2nd. I looked at it. We have an advanced uncopy edited edition that they sent us. And I just meant to kind of read a page or two to get a sense of the style. And then I was going to read it on the weekend because I really wanted to get more into Rachel Carson's Under the Sea Wind. Before I knew it, I was halfway finished. And I was sitting on the couch and had to turn the lights on because I was just so engrossed in this story. Shudder is Ramona's first novel, and it is really brilliant, I have to say. It is about a woman, Rita is her name, she is from the Navajo Nation in New Mexico. She was primarily raised by her grandmother. But even as a baby in the crib, she could see dead people. And the dead people knew that she could see them. So it caused a lot of challenges. And 
if you've read other stories, you've seen movies where people can see dead people. I never thought about that if you were a baby and you're growing up with that, how hard that could be because not all the spirits are kind. Yes. Yeah. So Rita is primarily raised by her grandmother on the reservation, but at a certain age, grandma's like, you have to get out. I don't want you on the reservation. You need to expand your horizons. So eventually Rita does go to live with her mom in Albuquerque. And she and her mom have a really wonderful relationship. Fast forward, Rita has become a forensic photographer as part of the Albuquerque Police Department. So she takes pictures of dead bodies and accident scenes and things like that. But the opening chapter, wow. I mean, it is hardcore, brutal. If you don't like blood and guts, I'd say this is not the book for you. (laughs) It is hardcore, but brilliant, I have to say. That first chapter is like nothing I've ever read before. And the rest of the book is really great, too. Um, So, of course, she's taking pictures of dead bodies. She can see dead people. They know that she can see them. There's a series of accidents that happen, and things start to really escalate. For the longest time, Rita was able to kind of control her interactions with dead people, and kind of ignore them, but this one dead person in particular will not let go and is really forceful to the point where Rita can physically feel her. Mm. Like she's a strong spirit. I'm going to leave it at that, but it is a really good crime novel as well as a horror novel, and I'm hoping this is going to be a series because, wow, I mean, this is one of the best first novels or best novels even, period, that I've read in a while. Ooh, I'm so excited because it's going into my hands next if I can get through the first chapter. I think you will. Okay. I mean, later on, there are people being shot and things like that. So again, warning, if you don't like that kind of book, this one, tread lightly. But if you do like this kind of book, Forensic Anything, wow, I highly recommend it. Shudder by Ramona Emerson comes out August 2nd from Soho Press. Pre-order it now, request it at your library. It's brilliant. Right on. You know, I knew someone whose daughter used to stand in front of a window, the same window at their house, and talk to somebody. And they always thought she was talking to a spirit because it kept happening. And it wasn't like a special friend. So, yeah. Interesting. Wow. What happened when she moved or anything? Do you know any of the details? No. Wow. (laughs) I didn't really want to follow up. Right, exactly. Like, be careful what you ask about. Exactly. Well, the other book we both read was Two Old Women in Alaska Legend of Betrayal, Courage, and Survival by Velma Wallace, our second quarter read-along. Yeah, for our year of reading Indigenous writers. Small book that packs a punch. We had our Zoom read-along discussion on Sunday, which was fabulous. Thanks to everybody who participated. Yeah, so Two Old Women, for those of you who haven't read it, um, there might be some spoilers in this conversation, just so you know, since it is a read-along selection. But it's two old women. One is 75, one is 80. They are part of a nomadic peoples in the Yukon area, up in the Alaska area. And they're known for being complainers. The two old women. The two old women. And their people are starving. It's winter. There's not enough food. They're on the move a lot, looking for food, looking to do more trapping. Finally, there's a meeting, and it's decided that they're going to be left behind. One of them has a daughter and a grandson. 
So part of the book deals with, you know, the moment when this decision is made and the daughter and the grandson's reaction to that, which is hard, you know, but they both give them a gift. One of them is a gift of a moose hide, right? And then the other is a hatchet, yeah, which they use (laughs) in a very positive way once they're left alone. Yeah. And they, spoiler alert, they do survive. They eventually thrive and save their people. But along the way, it is so realistic. Their aches and pains, because here they are. I mean, they're 75 and 80, and they've been used to having people help them with everything, packing up their stuff, carrying their stuff. So now they're having to do all of this by themselves for themselves, including finding food to eat. One of the old women was... A hunter in her younger days, she learned how to hunt and trap and all that as a kid. And she's carrying the hatchet that the grandson had given the friend. And they're watching a squirrel on a tree. And like she whips out the hatchet and wham, totally nails this poor squirrel. But, you know, the squirrel keeps them alive. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you learn that they're very resourceful women. And they head to a a spot that the group had been before that they remembered. It's very realistic about the walk, you know, like the jaunt they have to take to get there and how hard it is on their bodies. But they make it. Yeah. So they go back to this place where the people have been recently, I guess. But along the way, there's one scene where they know that they've just overdone it. And for any of you who may have overdone it physically, you know, the next day, like when you can barely move or you feel every joint ache, there's a scene where one of the women is up and walking around. Sa is her name. She's walking around trying to loosen up. And the other woman, Chad Zigyak, and we believe is how you pronounce her name, was looking at her, watching her walk around, and she just is feeling really miserable. But she says she knew she must do her best to stand beside her friend through this hardship. She had lived long enough to know that if she gave up, her friend would give up too. So she forced herself to move, but the pain that filled her body made her lie back down and let out a deep sigh. And then Sa sees that her friend is having a hard time and Together, they get her out of the snow pit where they were sleeping for the night. And I just love that along the way, they're having all these physical difficulties, but the emotional intelligence starts to kick in a lot more than it had. And they start to realize how much they need each other and how they've been. Right. And how complaining really doesn't serve the best purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And I know um, on the Zoom conversation, somebody brought up the issue of them no longer needing their walking sticks because they had walking sticks for the longest time. And they realized after they've been out moving so much and doing so much for themselves, they didn't really need them anymore. But then we talked to about how in contemporary hiking culture, like walking sticks are becoming more of a, a thing that yeah. people do use for either stability when you're up and down hills or for an upper body workout as well. Yeah, kind of spreads the muscle use a little bit. Yeah, one of the things that I said in the group was that I was surprised by how much I learned reading this book, just about cultural things, the way that they built things, you know, what they did with the moose hide was make what they call babbage, which is a way to connect things and tie things. It's a tool, kind of like a shoelace made out of hide. Yeah, like a long strip of the hide. Yeah. Yeah. And they made their snowshoes and they made extra things. So the other thing that happens is when their people join them, they have like 
a stash now. Not only did they survive, but they have a stash that can be shared. Right. Yeah, of of hats and mittens and and all these things, as well as food, because they've been trapping and fishing. So they have a stockpile of food. And another thing it's mentioned is just that there are enemy tribes in the area that they also have to be watchful for. And larger animals. Yeah. So when their group of people are still out there starving, they circle back eventually to where they left the two old women, and they're shocked not to find their bones or any evidence of them having been there. So they send out one of the guys, Dagu. He's like a scout. You Mm -hmm. know, he can uh, track people. He's a tracker. They send him out with a couple young guys. Dagu is an older man to find them, and they do find them. And the reconciliation takes a while because the trust had been so broken. But along the way, the women know that they were partly responsible for their situation. So it's a cautious reuniting that takes some time. But eventually, everyone is reunited. And the two old women let people help them a little bit, but not as much as before. Right. And everyone has to earn each other's trust again, as you're saying. It goes both ways. Yeah. 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 And there was a little tension. I mean, I know, um, I think it was Tony said that, It was a little predictable what would happen, but I thought there was still some good tension Mm -hmm. in it because when the the people come back and you think, oh, you know, like, I know they talked about the chief feeling a little guilt over the decision and people were feeling bad, but you still wonder, too, if the two old women are just going to be overrun and discarded again and Mm -hmm. their resources taken. Right. And that doesn't necessarily happen, but through this, we learn that other people in the past had been left when they were no longer capable of moving with a larger group. Right. And one of our Zoom companions talked about reading a biography of Lewis and Clark and how when Lewis and Clark were on their big journey, that was something that they came across, that there would be Native peoples who were older and who were kind of left to fend for themselves because the group felt like they were holding them back. Yeah, they would say it's your time to die, old man, right? and just leave them, which seems really harsh. And in this book, Two Old Women, there is somebody who is talking about the past and that, I don't know if it was their grandmother or grandfather who had been left behind, and they circled back, the father and the son, I think it was, circled back and killed their relative rather Mm -hmm. than letting them suffer under the elements or being eaten by a wild animal. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I really liked about Dagu, too, is he is reflecting at one point about how many times he expected somebody else to silence the women when they were complaining, but no one ever did. And then the big decision was made and they were left behind. And so much of this book just made me think about the importance of communication within a community, uh, not just me. I mean, we talked about this on the Zoom call, too, is just how crucial that is. And to speak up when you see problems right. before they escalate and then you're at the point of no return. Yeah, and there was a lot of hypothesizing that they were so busy satisfying their basic needs that they didn't necessarily want to have a come to Jesus with the two old women about their behavior. Right, yeah, because they're starving. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And so I think you know one of the things with the chief, in some ways you can't blame him because he has to take care of everyone. He has to look out for everyone And if people, they're already demoralized, and then you have these two people are doing nothing but complain and criticize, 
it is uh, kind of like having to cut off the problem, right? I guess you could say. Yeah, I'm so glad we chose it. I didn't know anything about this book. Chris had originally found a copy at the Guilford Library sale. Right, yeah, back in 2017. And I had read it, and I remember liking it. I'm pretty sure I talked about it on a past episode. And then reading Indigenously this year, we were looking at all the books that we have, you know, a big list started. And I just thought it would be really a fun book to read with a group, especially as many of our listeners are middle-aged and older, not that we don't have young folks as well, but I think it was really satisfying for a lot of people to read this, Yeah, to see old women doing for themselves and learning, learning so much about themselves, but also then giving back to younger generations the wisdom that they have to share. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, Chris. So that's our second quarter read-along. Yeah. And I, I did start her other book, Bird Girl and the Man Who Followed the Sun. This is another Athabascan Indian legend from Alaska, as the subtitle says. And this is about two younger people in a community who don't fit in. The girl is a bit of a tomboy and is hunting and trapping with her dad and brothers. And the young boy wants to wander around and is curious about things and daydreams a lot. And Dagu is the name of the young man. So, yeah, yeah, it is interesting to see if it turns out to be the same guy. Yeah, one would think, but yeah. who knows? Right. <laughs> yeah, but thanks to everybody who was there for the discussion and who've been contributing thoughts and enjoying the book on Goodreads. Yeah, and reminder that that thread in our Goodreads group stays up forever. Yeah, okay. So, and this is one thing too. I'm just looking down at my notes. Um, what came up too was what is the difference between like a legend, a folktale, fairy tale? Because to old women, it's a legend. So, I just did some basic Googling to look up the differences between these terms. A legend is a traditional story sometimes popularly regarded as historical, but is unauthenticated. So think of like the legend of King Arthur, right? And uh, synonyms would be like myth, saga, epic, and folktale. So then when you look at folktale, it's also a story originating in popular culture that's passed on by word of mouth. So oral traditions. And one of the examples they gave is the boy who cried wolf. And then also I was thinking about the Jirogumo from Japan, the spider woman, is also a folktale. And then the last is the fairy tale. And the definition for this was saying that they're tales of wonder or magic and are instances of a European folklore genre that takes the form of a short story, Hmm. which was interesting about that, that it is something that's been written as opposed to oral folktale. And so examples of that are typically Little Red Riding Hood, The Three Little Pigs, Hansel and Gretel, and often like mythological creatures. And it said basically that there's really no clear line separating myth from folktale or fairy tale. Hmm. So yeah, that that was kind of interesting. Yeah, and that's something we talked about also on the Zoom call. And then because I had also brought up the difference between oral tradition and written story, because Velma Wallace wrote this book, because this was a legend that her mother had told her over and over and over. You know, so it's kind of interesting to wonder also how changed and morphed over time, maybe even as her mother got older, you know, how she might have changed the story a little bit or 
ad-libbed here and there. Right, so. yeah, and that's mm. with folktales. One of the things that mentioned was that folktales are told with a different slant based on who's telling it mm-hmm. and who they're telling it to and why. Right. So yeah. you can tweak things for your audience. Yeah. So I imagine parents and you know other leaders do a lot of that. Sure, yeah. We're going to tell you a folktale about why it's important to clean up after yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, so much fun. Yeah, that was really good. I really enjoyed that. And we'll have a new pick coming up in the next couple episodes. We'll make the announcement for our third quarter read-along selection. Yes, stand by. So speaking of fun, we did some serious biblio adventuring together. Oh, yeah. We went up to Manchester, Vermont for Booktopia. We didn't officially participate in Booktopia, but we did participate in the evening event that they do for the public on Saturday night. We saw tons of friends. But of course, we couldn't just go directly to Manchester. We did some stops along the way. Oh, yeah. Emily has always put together a great itinerary anytime we go anywhere. And I put together an ambitious itinerary (laughs) and I sent Chris an email and then I was like, am I crazy? I'm sorry. And she was like, no, I love you. This is great. (laughs) So some of the things on the list didn't work out, but we did hit Brattleboro first. We went to Everyone's Books, which has been, I think their motto is like stirring up trouble since 1984 or something like that. Super cool bookstore. Yeah, a lot of, uh, you know, politically interesting bumper stickers. Like they had this huge wall full of bumper stickers and uh, really great front table selections, too, with books that were concerned about contemporary issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, lots of cards. Really great store. I loved it. And then directly across the street was Brattleboro Books, which is a used bookstore fantastic yes it's one of those used bookstores where there were some rare but just a lot of vintage books too Mm -hmm. and then old but new used books it's one of those stores you walk into that smells good yes and that's not always the case with a used bookstore (laughs) true that yeah Yeah. and it was well organized and um we looked at each other and we were like okay 15 minutes (laughs) because we both knew like (laughs) this could last a long time one I definitely want to stop back to. And and I love the town of Brattleboro. We went to the food co-op there and grabbed a quick lunch. And then we were heading to another bookstore in Newfane that ended up, sadly, it was another used bookstore and the owner had passed away. So it wasn't open. And we peered in the windows and saw like all the books, shelves had sheets hanging over them. Yeah, it was sad. Yeah. But down the street was a really good thing. Yes. The, the Newfane Public Library was fantastic. Unbelievable. It was odd because it looks like a giant house, which really it is. Yes. It is originally a house that was a library and has, over the years, as is so classic in Vermont, had additions put on. So it's this really long building now that just had a great selection of books very inviting environment. Yeah, it had a chair made out of pennies in the kids department section. And then a gallery in the back with artists work hanging. We saw actually saw the artist like moving her exhibit around. And then upstairs, there was a massage therapist office, which we both looked at each other. Actually, my first thought was, 
I wonder if you have a massage after hours, if then you can just browse the library with nobody knowing. Right. You know? That was really funny. Good question. But we're just like, man, we'd never leave. Yeah, ever. A massage therapist in the library. Yeah, yeah. And perfect. they had a coffee pot as well. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. All bases covered. <laughs> and Chris um, wrote a great uh, blog post about this library. We'll put a link in the show notes. Some fun pictures and lots of historical information because Chris does a great job with that. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that was a fun blog post to write. And then we finally got to Manchester to Northshire Books, spent the weekend there. Yes. Had a, well, more than a few browses there. Yeah. Different times. It was so great to see a lot of our old Booktopia friends. We made an effort to be there in the cafe, which has been redone and is good. We just kind of stayed there for lunch so we could talk and catch up with people, which was really nice. Yeah. Never enough time. but Never enough time. We had asked one of the booksellers what time lunch was or what the break was between sessions for people who were attending Booktopia and, and made sure we were there because we knew that would be a good place to, to see folks. And it was, yeah. Yeah, and we'll put a link in the show notes to the list of authors. We talked about that on a previous episode. The Saturday night event was really fun. That's when each of the authors, you know, they've spent time doing breakout sessions with people who were officially signed up. But then on Saturday night, they just open it up to the public and anyone in the author's tend to try to do something different because they've talked about their book quite a bit in these breakout sessions. So there were some fun things. Courtney mom read an essay, a really funny satirical essay about writer's relationship with her agent and trying to sell a book. If you are someone who gets the poets and writers magazine, I believe it's in the most recent issue or yeah, or or coming coming out. out, Yeah. Yeah, That was really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then on Sunday morning, we woke up and we couldn't just drive home. We had to make some stops. So I did some research Saturday night and took us kind of a different back way through Vermont so that we could hit Wilmington, Vermont. And we went to Bartleby's Books, which is where Chris found her noodle book. Yes. Super exciting. That was a really wonderful bookstore. It was. Double, you know, two stories, very well curated. Mm -hmm. But along the way, we stopped at three little free libraries. That's true. We did that all the way home. Yeah. We kept screeching. Seriously (laughs) screeching. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Stop. And then, and we took some photos. So those are on our social media if you want to check those out. Yeah. And then we wove our way into Northern Mass and went to Roundabout Books in Greenfield, Mass. Funny front, like we actually were literally sitting outside of the bookstore and calling them saying, where are you? Because it does not look like a bookstore. We were told that they are actually moving locations in the next few months. Unbelievable used bookstore. Yeah, they did have some new stuff. That's right. They um, did. Yeah. Like the first couple rows were new. That was some great stuff. Man, I was really amazed by some of the fantastic diversity of titles that they had. They had a literature and translation table, mm-hmm. contemporary or new releases, I should say. And then the used section was fabulous. And it looked a lot like a library, like really tall library-like shelves that you could walk up and down the aisles, very well organized, very bright. The woman working the store had been a librarian and she was very happy to help. Yeah, super clean. Yeah. Super clean used bookstore. And what's funny is the front of it, it kind of looked like, I mean, we drove past it the first time and we're like, where is it? GPS is saying we're here. But then when we circled back, we then we noticed the 
sign saying books on the front of it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Three signs saying books, but on these columns. But anyway, we had a really great time. And from Greenfield, then we headed home. But we came across little free libraries actually on the way up and the way back. So check out our social media for those pictures. It's really funny when we're driving through somewhere and every now and then like somebody will have a really big mailbox and we hit the brake a little bit because we think it's a little free library and then it's not. And we're like, oh. But then the last one we saw, which was pretty close to Greenfield, Mass. I mean, it was the, I think it was like the town before we stopped and it, there wasn't really a shoulder on the road that didn't stop us. We get out and the gentleman whose house it was, was standing in his driveway and he sees these, you know, like two crazy ladies running towards his house. And we both just kind of yelled at him, we love little free libraries and like no response. He just walked into his house. It was very funny. Yes. He was like, ah, it's another, you know. More book crazed people. Right. Right. On my front lawn. Right. It was very funny. Yeah. It was such a fun trip. We had great weather. Just wonderful to see folks. Yeah. 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 And be in Northshire. It's one of my favorite, favorite bookstores. Yeah. Really great. So what else? Did you have other Biblio Adventures? I had two quick ones. I attended one from the Maine Women Writers Collective, which was really cool. They were showcasing three writers who were there to talk about their recent projects where they used the archive. So the authors were Dawn Potter, who's a poet. Her latest book is Accidental Hymn. And what she did was she was feeling kind of depressed and just went to the archivist and said, you know, what should I read? Give me something to read. So the archivist came out with this box and said, try this. And so it was the journals of a woman who lived most of her life feeling pretty depressed and stuck and everything. And a lot of her letters or the journals were kind of faded. They were written in pencil and some words were just not readable anymore. And so Dawn talked about how reading the faded writing was like almost reading Mad Libs where she would kind of add in her own words. So her upcoming project, I guess, will will be about that. The next author was Elizabeth DeWolf who is a scholar. Her latest book is The Murder of Mary Bean and Other Stories. She's currently also the acting director of the Maine Women Writers Collection. And wow, she talked about having luck in the archive. And the story that she told about a trial, it was one of those trials of the century um, from 1894, I think it took place. She identified who this mysterious woman was through archival research there. And also at Library of Congress, Mm -hmm. James Armstrong Tucker. Dun, dun, dun. I'm going to look forward to that book whenever it comes out or article. I'm not sure what level she's writing about. I think it was a book, she said. And then the last writer was Carol Dana. She is a Penobscot indigenous person from Maine. And her recent book is Still They Remember Me, Penobscot Transformer Tales. And she read some oral history stories Several that involved little people. I guess they have a tradition of little people who are like mysterious creatures, but they were really interesting stories. Mm. One thing she talked about, which I make a note of it here, is the need to talk about assimilation. And she said that a lot of the tribal leaders that she had spoken with, she's just retired, so she's going to have a lot more time to write. But the older leaders that she had talked to said that she remembered elders coming to them and telling people to stop making baskets and to go work in town and also to learn English. 
So, you know, that's that direct memory of people trying to do what's best for their people, but then losing a lot of their traditions as well. So that was a really cool event. I'm glad I got to catch that. And then the the second event I attended was um, the Beinecke Library. Yale's Beinecke Library has a, a Monday event during the school year. And this was a presentation by Gabrielle Colangelo, who was the senior exhibit winner. So I guess the senior who writes a thesis, one person has chosen then to do an exhibit based on the archives at the Beinecke. So she just talked about some of the highlights of the exhibit. It's currently at the Sterling Library at Yale. It's called We Are Everywhere, Lesbians in the Archives. And she basically talked about how the project kind of came out of her frustration with not being able to find lesbians in the archive, which is a topic that I have been reading a lot about in library archive school and how to make collections of people who were earlier generations who didn't use certain labels for themselves or were in the closet or whose family didn't want anything to be known about them that back then could be considered harmful. Those search terms are just not there at this point. Hmm. Really interesting. And I hope we can do a future Biblio adventure there to see that exhibit. So when you do the Beinecke, those Monday ones, are they on Zoom, but there's no visual with them? There is a visual. Okay, because when you said you didn't see it, that was confusing to me. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't go to the exhibit yet. Okay. I had planned to go on it to see the exhibit before the event, Mm -hmm. just to have a better picture of it. So she did have some visuals there and, and talked about certain things. But it's not the exhibit that you can see at Sterling, obviously. No. Yeah, it was more stills and things like that. But the exhibit is there. Mondays at the Beinecke used to be a lecture that they would have, an in-person lecture there, which they took online during the pandemic. And it's still online, which is great because more people obviously can then attend. What was really great about Gabby's talk is that she graduated from her undergrad two years ago. And she, as a kid would go to the Beinecke like when she was 16 and attend their talks. And she's like, wow, if my 16-year-old self could see this now, she'd be totally geeking out. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of cool to know that she has that history as, right. you know, from being a high schooler attending because she's interested yeah. to then winning the award and having the opportunity to create an exhibit. Yeah, well, sometimes that geeking out as a kid pays off in dividends in the future. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so upcoming adventures, we have a very fun joint jaunt we're going on, right? Yeah, next week. Yes, Soho Press, the press that put out Shudder that Chris just raved about has invited us to a bookseller event and dinner at the Sly Fox Den 2 in Charleston, Rhode Island, which is an indigenous restaurant. So excited. Yeah, really looking forward to that event. And it's launching for booksellers, obviously, because the book's not out yet. This book, Shudder by Ramona Emerson. Emerson, and then Sinister Graves by Marcy Reardon which I don't know much about, but I'm excited. I am too. Yeah, super excited about that. And thank you to our buddy, Juliet Grames, for inviting us. Yeah, and Juliet Grames is the editor of Shudder, I should say. And Ramona thanks her in there and talks about how patient and supportive Juliet is. I believe it from what we know about her. Yeah. So then the other event I have coming up is one I mentioned before, but it's the Willa Cather Spring Conference, which is June 2nd to the 4th. And that is 
both in person and online through the Whova app, which is really cool. You do have to register for it, but the theme is literary prizes, acclaim and controversy. So I'm really looking forward to the panels and the the speakers on that. Maureen Corrigan, who is one of them. I love her yeah. reviews on Fresh Air. And I know she's written her own work as well. So cool. Upcoming reads. All right. We are going to be announcing our big book summer reading buddy books. How do I say that? <laughs> buddy books? You said it pretty well. Did I? Okay. For those of you who have been longtime listeners, you know, last summer we participated in this challenge. We have Sue on as a guest next. She's going to tell more of the history of how this challenge came to be and details of it. But last year, we both chose our big summer books and then decided to do buddy reads on our Goodreads thread. Yeah, we each chose one book. And the big book summer thing, they're books 400 pages or more, which, you know, those can be fun to do with a group of people to have some moral support or just not even moral support, just the fun of talking about a book as you're reading it when it is a chunkster. Right, exactly. Yeah. So we're going to do the same thing again this year. We've both chosen a book. Or three. (laughs) (laughs) And then we'll set up a buddy read for that book. Right, on our Goodreads threads. So should we announce those first? Yeah, sure. I mean, I have a whole bunch of books that I I have a stack of hopefuls that I would love to get to. But the one that I'm going to do as my buddy read is a nonfiction book. Oh. The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. Right on. Oh, this is going to be so hard because I want to read that too. (laughs) Are you going to try to audio it as well, you think? I don't think so. I think I'm going to read this because I love her writing. Mm -hmm. I just happened to flick it open the other day and I just started reading. Um, She's such a good writer. So I think I will just stick to reading. (sighs) Yeah, I mean, she won the Pulitzer Prize, National Book Critics Circle Award, I sometimes feel like I'm the last person in America to read this book. I know that's not true. So I hope some people will join me in the buddy read of The Warmth of Other Suns. And now, drum roll for Emily. I'm hoping I'm not getting kicked off the island because I'm doing something a little different. (laughs) I'm going to read a trilogy. I'm going to read the Plain Song trilogy by Kent Harriff. I've read Plain Song, so I'm going to do a reread, which is unusual for me. And then the other two books in the series are Eventide and Benediction. These are the books that stare at me from my bookshelf across from my bed every day. I loved Plain Song so much, so I want to reread it because I don't have the best retention, (laughs) and then read the whole series, the trilogy. And I hope people will join along with me for one or all three. That's very cool. Now, you have separate books here. Mm -hmm. Does it come in like a one-book collection? Not that I've ever seen, but I will report back at the next episode. Okay, cool. Because, you know, then that was simply make it one book. Or we can always (laughs) just glue your titles together. (laughs) I mean, it's over, I think, like, I don't know. Close to a thousand pages to read all three. The page count is okay, but it is three books making a large page count. So now are you going to read them all in a row? I don't know, because I have some other reading assignments this summer, so we'll see. I kind of would like to, but I don't want to do it if it's starting to feel like a job. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think I'm just going to see how it goes. That's my plan. Groovy. Yeah. And then we have a buddy read we're going to do together. Yes. East of Eden by John Steinbeck, another reread for me. Yeah, and that's going to be a fresh read for me. I've never read East of Eden, and 
That is the first pick of the newly named Vintage Book Club. We're reading four books by Steinbeck over the next year, one book a quarter, and East of Eden is a bit of a chunkster. Yeah, it is. And we're going to do that as a buddy read. We'll have a thread on Goodreads for anyone who would like to join us with that. And just to let people know, there was a little confusion about the Vintage Book Club. That is an in-person book club. In South Windsor, Connecticut. And we meet quarterly. It's the third Thursday of the month at 1 p.m. We either meet at the Wood Library or at the Red Heat Tavern. We'll be meeting at the Red Heat Tavern again because the Wood Library is closed during the summer. But this will be the last year that they're closed during the summer because this year, while they're closed, they're going to be having an AC unit put in. Right on. So they'll be open year-round in the future. And so this will be the third Thursday in July. Yeah, July 21st at 1 p.m. New members are always welcome, but it is exclusively in person. Yes. And then one other book is an upcoming read for us. It's also a chunkster, over 400 (laughs) pages, I believe, right? Yeah. And this is Atomic Anna by Rachel Berenbaum. And Rachel is going to be a guest on the podcast in the summer. So we would like to read the book before we have her on. Yeah, and we did interview Rachel on our YouTube channel. For her other book, her debut, A Bend in the Stars. Yeah. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes, too, if you want to check out that conversation or read along with us for Atomic Anna. Are we going to do that as a buddy read, too? Sure. Okay. If we can, we'll see. All right. We're just going to sit by each other and read together this summer, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, right? Oh, my gosh. And reminder of books that are out now that we've talked about on the podcast before they were published. This Time Tomorrow by Emma Straub, With Prejudice by Robin Piguero, She is Haunted, Paige Clark, You Have a Friend in 10A, Maggie Shipstead. Wow. Yeah. Nice. It was a big Tuesday. I think most of those came out on May 17th. Up next is our conversation with Sue. Yeah. Enjoy learning about the Big Book Summer Challenge, and we hope you take part in it. Yeah. Share those big books with us. (laughs) Happy Happy reading. reading. We're so happy to be sitting down in person with author and blogger Susan L. Jackson. The three of us are in Manchester, Vermont for Booktopia a three-day event that brings readers and authors together. The event was started by Anne and Michael of Books on the Nightstand and is now hosted by the North Shire Bookstore. Longtime listeners will remember that Sue is the mastermind behind the Big Book Summer Reading Challenge that Emily and I have participated in for the past several summers. In addition to being a reader, Sue is also a writer of not one but two blogs, On Book by Book, Sue reviews books, movies, and TV shows, food, and travel. And on Live with ME slash CFS, she writes about living with chronic illness. Sue's latest book is Finding a New Normal, Living Your Best Life with Chronic Illness. Welcome, Sue. Thank you. So we have a burning question for you. Okay. How many Booktopias have you attended? This is my fifth. So I started in 2015. I was an avid fan of Books on the Nightstand, and year after year, I listened to them talk about Booktopia, and I so wanted to go. And then in 2015, when they said, this is going to be the last one, I said, I have to do this. So I invited my mom to come with me, and she's come along to all five with me. And um, yeah, that's where it started. And so, of course, we were thrilled when Northshire decided to continue it. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. 
So Sue, can you tell us a little bit about your book? Sure. Um, I think the subtitle kind of says it all, uh, Living Your Best Life with Chronic Illness. So it's about all kinds of chronic illnesses or chronic health problems, all, all sorts of things. It's focused on the coping side. So it's not about treatments and things like that that would be specific to a particular illness, but it's about finding small joys even in a very limited life, um, learning to live with restrictions, learning to accept your life as it is. Um, so there's a lot about emotional coping, also about just daily life and how you find a better life for yourself within this new limited world you're living in. And also about relationships. I cover relationships as well because that becomes a very difficult thing when you're dealing with this huge challenge that even the people close to you can't fully understand without living it. Yeah. Yeah. What a great resource. I was looking at the reviews online and it's gotten tremendous reviews from yeah folks. i've been really pleased it's it's been great yeah Fantastic. and we will definitely put links in the show notes to guide people to how to find it and and purchase it excellent so, thank yeah. you thank wow. you sue for writing that so we are here to talk about sue's big book summer challenge and we want to know all about why you came up with it how long you've been doing it all that good stuff okay so this is a big year. This is the 10th year of the official Big Book Summer Challenge. Wow. Wow. So that's amazing. 11 years ago, I just for myself declared it my Big Book Summer. And the book I really wanted to get to that summer that I'd been putting off was Pillars of the Earth by mm -hmm. Ken Follett. I'd heard great things about it. I had loved his thrillers for decades. And everybody kept saying how great this book was, but it's... I think it's about a thousand pages. And it was so daunting. So finally I said, I'm going to get to that. It's summertime. My book groups take uh, breaks during the summer. And I just decided this is going to be my big book summer. And then the next year I just decided to invite other people to join me. And it's just, it's caught on little by little each year. It started mainly in the book blogging community. Other book bloggers joined in. And, you know, it's spread. I started a YouTube channel a, a year ago, last February. So now there are booktubers joining in. And thanks to you guys, a lot of other readers who aren't involved in the blogging or YouTube worlds have also come to learn about it. So last year we had our biggest participation ever. Oh, that's fantastic. Right on. Yeah. Do you kind of all year long think about what you're going to read over the summer? Do you build a stack? Do you know from summer to summer, like, oh, I didn't get to this one, so I'm going to read it next summer? Yes, to all of those. <laughs> <laughs> I am always overly optimistic. <laughs> so I do find myself throughout the year. I mean, it's not that I won't read big books. And, and for the purposes of the challenge, I've defined a big book as 400 or more pages. So it's not that I won't read a book over over 400 pages the rest of the year. I just finished This Tenderland by William Kent Kruger, oh, which I love was that book so amazing. <laughs> you know, I keep telling people this is a great book for Big Book Summer. <laughs> but yes, I am always thinking, and my husband's into it now too. So both of us are always like, ooh, this would be good for Big Book Summer. <laughs> so just last week, I was like, it's May. You know, I went through my bookcase and picked out 
some of the bigger books that I've been thinking about reading this summer. And of course, it's way more than I can possibly do. (laughs) And I did, I asked for two more big books for Mother's Day. My husband and my kids are always wonderful about getting me books. So I know I'm going to have a stack way bigger than I can get to. But the, you know, the idea, I like to have choices. So, you know, throughout the summer, I'll just see what I'm in the mood for and pick from my stack. But I I really want to make clear, you don't have to read a whole stack of big books. You know, lots of people will pick one book over 400 pages that they want to tackle during the summer. Yeah, yeah. And, and we should tell people the dates are Memorial Day through Labor Day. Yes. Right. right. So the so. Friday of Memorial Day weekend. Okay. I know that's confusing, but, you know, outside of the U.S., nobody knows what Memorial Day and Labor yeah. Day are anyway. <laughs> so, so those dates, for those of you who want hard dates, mm. May 27th to September 5th. Right. So I'll kick it off on May 27th. I'll put up my blog post and um, my YouTube video kicking off the challenge. That's when it officially starts. There are a variety of ways to participate. People with a blog or a YouTube channel can post their link on my blog page about Big Book Summer, and that way other people can find their posts and videos. But you don't have to be a blogger or a YouTuber. Any reader is welcome to join. There's a Goodreads group if you're even not on Goodreads, you can just leave a comment on the blog post and say, hey, I want to do this. You know, I'm thinking of reading this book or this book. You know, So you can do it any way you want. The idea is it's easygoing. It's summer. Keep things flexible. Yeah. yeah. You have a reward at the end that some lucky winner will win. <laughs> and I won it one year. I was so excited. <laughs> That's right. So at the end of the summer, anyone who has officially announced their participation in any of the ways I just described is entered into a drawing for a gift card. Um, and I'm trying to think how I did it last. Were you the winner last year? No, I think it was two years ago. Okay. Because I was doing Amazon and I think I've been doing bookshop now. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're, they're a real game changer. Oh, they're fabulous. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And now what's the name of your YouTube channel? It's just Sue Jackson. Okay. Since I do videos on both books and chronic illness, you know, I wanted my channel title to just kind of be generic so that yeah. everybody would be welcome. Um, but there are a lot of book videos there. So (laughs) I definitely do, you know, probably three to five book videos for every chronic illness video. I just, I love talking about books. So we don't know anybody like that. (laughs) (laughs) We are so glad you took time out of your busy weekend here at Booktopia to talk to us about the summer challenge. We're excited about it. I've been teasing Chris about my read for weeks now. So have you two chosen your big books yet? I have been going around my stacks at home and looking at Goodreads. And every time I'm I'm in a bookstore and I see a chunkster, I'm not 100%. I do know, well, I'll be reading East of Eden by Steinbeck this summer. That's going to be one because my book club is going to be doing that one in July. Oh, perfect. And um, I want to read another Dickens because I read Bleak House last summer as part of the challenge and really enjoyed it. So I love Dickens. I loved him in school 
And then I was really surprised to read him as an adult and just find out, you know, he's so funny. Yeah. Which you think of Dickens, you think of, you know, Dickensian is like <laughs> bleak. <laughs> well, bleak house. The right? bleak house, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, two summers ago, I read David Copperfield. So I usually, with that big stack, I usually try to include one classic. And I did Kate, David Copperfield uh, two years ago. Last year, I did. I read Anna Karenina, which you did as well, Emily. Right, right? that was mine, and yeah. and I chose because it had been. I had started reading it years prior for a book club, and that didn't work. And then it had been just like calling my name every time I walked by it on my bookcase. So that's kind of how I choose. It's yeah. like a book that's been plaguing me in a good way, you know, like mm-hmm. speaking to me from my shelves. Well, that's perfect because that's how Big Book Summer started. Yeah. yeah. So this summer, my classic is um, The Count of Monte Cristo, mm, yeah. which good my one. husband and everyone else I know has said is a great book. Yes, yeah. I've heard that. So that, I, that yeah. one's been on our shelves for a while. It is a good one. That was the first book I read when we moved to Connecticut. Oh. Like I kind of was planning on it because I wasn't going to be working for a little bit and I knew I could have the time to do it. And I really enjoyed it. Don't you love how you can associate a book with a place, a time? You know, there are certain books I think of and I'm like, oh, I read that in South Dakota when we were on vacation. Yeah, 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 for sure. So awesome. Now, do you have a favorite Dickens? Um, I really like Great Expectations. We read it in ninth grade. I've got this bizarre memory for the books I read in school. (laughs) My husband doesn't understand it, but I could always remember, you know, when I read something, which teacher it was. And I enjoyed it then. And then a few years ago for Big Book Summer, I listened to it on audio. And it was the first time since I was a kid that I had read it. And oh my gosh, I loved it. I had it on audio. So I was walking around my neighborhood listening and, you know, I'm thinking my neighbors think I'm crazy because I'm just walking all by myself and laughing like crazy. <laughs> That's a good sign. Yeah, that it is. is. Yeah. See, now I read that one in school, too, and I remember enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one I've been thinking about. Yeah, that's a good one to revisit. Yeah, good. Emily, are you going to um, say anything at all about your possibles? I'm just going to say that I'm going to bend the rules a little bit. So mm. hopefully I won't get kicked off the island. Well, that's <laughs> up to Sue. So I might, I might talk to Sue on the side. <laughs> but we are going to set up a buddy read for some of our big summer um, reads again, like we did last year. Great. That was fun yeah. last year. Yeah. 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 yeah we're both going to pick a book to do that with. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And then I think we're both going to read East of Eden, too. So we'll... Yeah. Oh, wow. That's yeah. great. Yeah, which is one of my top 10 books of all time. Oh. We'll see if it holds up, though. So oh. I'm a little worried to reread it. Yeah, that's a challenge with a book you've loved for yeah. a long time. But yeah. hopefully, I mean, hopefully it stands up. Yeah. yeah. There are other books if it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sue, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your weekend here at Northshire. We will be seeing you around in the stacks. Thank you. Thanks for asking me to come today. And and it's great to see you both in person again. I know, it's so nice. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. We'll be back again in two weeks with another episode. Until then, come chat with us on social media. If you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, we would love to have you join our community. All of the books that we talked about in this episode are listed in the show notes. 
which you can find at bookcougars.com. Each book will link to our bookshop.org page where your purchase will help support not only the Book Cougars, but also independent bookstores everywhere. And if you're an audiobook listener, we do have a special offer from Libro.fm. You can find all of this information on our website. Again, that's bookcougars.com. Thanks, everybody. This episode is edited by Pat Keogh Sound Design.